Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Kristen Goodman. I'm Sarah Goodman. And we're Showbiz Siblings. We live in New York City. We're both queer. And we love musical theater. This is our podcast. Alright, welcome back to Good Show. Today we're talking about rent. Yeah, my Woo-hoo. faves. Yeah, one of your faves. Totally. Yeah. We grew up listening to this cast album so much. Kristen had the two CD set. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a show from the mid-90s. It opened on Broadway in 96, and Kristen and I watched the pre-Broadway production at New York Theatre Workshop. Um, the off-Broadway, you know, um, pre-Broadway run, which mm-hmm. was really fascinating to see um, all of those big stars when they were little babies. Yeah. <laughs> Just getting started. Just getting started. Um, Rent is a very iconic musical written by Jonathan Larson. He wrote the music and books. Uh, books. <laughs> he wrote the music and lyrics and the book. Um and it's a show that the story is loosely based off of La Boheme, the opera by Puccini. Right. Um, the opera is about a, a lot of bohemian young people dying of tuberculosis. And Rent is about a bunch of young New Yorkers, artists in the 90s dying of AIDS. Right. And it centers around these two friends, Mark and Roger, a filmmaker and a musician who live um, in this sort of like derelict building in new york they're squatting in a place where they haven't been paying rent yeah and it's like alphabet city right lori's side yeah alphabet city lori's side um and there's it's sort of an ensemble story there's a whole lot of different characters um mark and roger have a friend named tom collins who's a professor he's gay um he meets a character early in the show named Angel, who's a drag queen, and they have a beautiful romance that blossoms throughout the show. Um, and then, sadly, spoiler alert, Angel dies at mm. the uh, in the second act, which is very sad. Um, there's Maureen and Joanne, a lesbian couple. Maureen is um, bisexual. She was formerly with Mark, um, 
a character named Mimi comes into the picture and meets Roger and their love interests. Um, Mimi is a dancer, but also has a heroin addiction that's really triggering for Roger because he's like a recovering addict. Um, And then there's Benny, who used to be their friend. Uh, They all were squatting in this building together. And then Benny went off and married Rich and bought the building and is now making everybody pay him rent, back-owed rent. Yeah, Benny's not a nice guy. He's not a nice guy at all. And he kind of gets with Mimi too, right? Yeah, like you find out during the show that Benny and Mimi previously dated and now they're kind of dating again. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's not good. Benny doesn't treat Mimi very good. No. And takes advantage of her, like, weakness as a person who has an addiction and doesn't have a lot of money and whatnot. Right. But um, it's a really unique story for that time to have a show kind of be pretty unconventional. You know, there are some love stories, and it is based on an opera, but um, – the storyline follows all these different people. It's like kind of intricate what's going on throughout the show. And it's it's sort of strange because the first act takes place in just one day. And then the second act takes place over the course of the whole following year. Right. Um, so it's, it's a little unbalanced. Um, but as you'll bring up, Jonathan Larson, the creator of this musical, passed away when the show had just was just about to open at New York Theater Workshop. Right. Um, so it was in some ways sort of unfinished. For the version that we watched at Toft, the New York Theater Workshop production, the director was Michael Greif, scenic design Paul Clay, choreography Marley's Yearby, costume design by Angela Went, lighting design by Blake Burba, Sound design by Darren L. West. And then in the Broadway production, it was all the same creative team except for the sound designer, who was Kurt Feischer on Broadway. Cool. And there were a lot of uh, big stars in this cast that got their debuts on this show, right? Yeah. Anthony Rapp, Adam Pascal, Daphne Rubin Vega, um, Jesse L. Martin, (laughs) Wilson Germain Heredia, Idina Menzel. Come on, Adele Dazeem. It was like her breakout (laughs) moment. It was her first show, right? Like it was. Yeah, it was her first big show. Um, Freddie Walker and Tay Diggs. Really, truly, everybody, everybody, everybody became huge stars. Kind of blew up after that. I mean, it was a hugely successful show, so it makes sense. But Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of talent in the cast for sure. I mean, so many, I think, of the younger generation of Broadway fans knows of Adina Menzel, of course, as like Elphaba, but. I know her as Maureen. <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, she was Maureen 10 years before she was Alphaba, so I feel like that was like her thing for her thing. the longest time. Yeah. And now I suppose she's Elsa to the tiny Now kids. she's Elsa, yeah. <laughs> wow, interesting. Which Adele Dazeem role do you identify with the most based on your generation? <laughs> right. <laughs> <sighs> That's funny. Well, so we're 90s kids. We grew up mostly in the 90s. I mean, you you have some 80s in there, too. But um, tell me more about what was going on in uh, 96, 95, this this era when Rent opened. Right. So Bill Clinton is president. He'll be reelected later in 96 again. Um, There's a couple pro-LGBT rulings that happened in the Supreme Court during this time, but this is also the era of, like, don't ask, don't tell, Mm. and 
the Defense of Marriage Act. Mm. So definitely tumultuous and lots of different uh, rulings and legislation and things happening that are kind of seeing how all of this um, LGBT stuff shakes out. Um, Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan are still dominating the NBA. Um, that summer, the Summer Olympics took place in Atlanta mm-hmm. in 96. Uh, this is also when the Fox News Channel launches. Whoa. That's interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nintendo 64 was released in the U.S. that year, and wow. so was the first flip phone for wow. on sale in the flip U.S. Flip phones. Remember flip those? Phones. Those are coming back. They're making a comeback. They are, but are they any good? These I new flip loved phones? my flip phone. No, I, I don't know. I, the old flip phones were great. Are the new flip phones any good? I don't know. If you've got a flip phone, let us know. Tell us. <laughs> uh, Tupac was killed. So was oh. JonBenet Ramsey. Oh, wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the films that were popular that year were Twister, Braveheart, Space Jam, um, Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and The Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Some of the other Broadway shows that opened in 96 were Big, Bring Into Noise, Bring Into Funk, State Fair, mm. and Victor Victoria, which will be our next episode of yeah. the Queer Series. Excited to talk about that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rent was nominated for 10 Tony Awards wow. in 96, and the show won four um, Best Musical, Best Book, Best Original Score, and best performance by a featured actor in a musical, and that was for um, Wilson Germain Heredia, who played Angel. Mm-hmm. Rent ran at the Nederlander from April 96 until September 2008. Wow. So it's the 11th longest running show in Broadway history. Damn. The show toured all over the world for many years. And a film version was released in 2005. I think a lot of the diehard Rent fans, like Broadway fans, didn't love the movie. I didn't love the movie. I did not love the movie. But I was glad that the movie helped expose a new generation to the show and hopefully new fans of the Broadway version. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just didn't like some of the changes they made. And I felt like it was just kind of like... It was too plastic. Clean. It was too glee. Mm-hmm. They gleeified it. They gleed it to a little too much. But too it much. did have a lot of the original people in it, which was kind of cool. It was very nice to see some of those original cast members for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as you mentioned, Sarah, um, Jonathan Larson tragically died at the age yeah. of 36 so from sad. an aortic aneurysm the day before the first off-Broadway preview performance of Rent. Um, so sad. Huge talent. He also wrote Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, so clearly so sad to see such a talented person go so young from Mm -hmm. such a like unexpected thing. Um, but I know, you know, from some things we've heard and, and whatnot that it just made this show, I think, extra special and made the cast really bond together in a a unique way. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly with the message of the show of like, you know no day but today i'm sure that was really emotional as they had yeah. to navigate through jonathan larson dying um yeah. On, yeah sorry go ahead um i am working on a podcast that will be announced very soon uh for bpn that is doing a deep dive on rent and it's been really fascinating learning so much more about mm-hmm. the production um especially because we decided to do this before i really realized what was going on with that um, and 
just the the most poignant takeaway I have about Jonathan Larson's death is that that night, the night the whole cast found out, well, they found out in the morning. Everyone mm-hmm. found out the morning he died overnight. And they all went to the theater and sort of had a moment together as a cast and with the MD and everybody in the production. And then they decided that that night they would do just an invited dress for friends and family. And they were they were just going to do a reading style, like sit sit at tables and uh, read through and sing through the show, but not not do staging or costumes or anything like that. But then when it got to La Vie Boheme, the actors just like couldn't contain their energy. And um, Daphne Rubin Vega said that she thought to herself, if I died, I would want them to get onto those fucking tables. <laughs> so so we they did. got up and did the whole thing. So they got up and did the whole thing. I and then that. they were so like full of inspiration that they said, Let's get into full costume and makeup, and we're doing the whole second act full out. Wow. Like full production. That's theater people for you. Yeah. Yeah. The show must go on. I love that. And that, I mean, what better song to inspire them to want to get up and absolutely proceed on with it? I mean, it's Viva such la a, vie boheme. You know, <laughs> it's like wild. <laughs> They're like, we can't do this sitting down and yeah. reading. We have to get up and do this show. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's such a such a big um important time i'm sure I, I don't know on a personal note this is like i said you know one of my favorites and one of the most influential broadway shows in my life mm-hmm. um, i got that cast album in 96 when we were living in chicago and i would blast that cd in our bedroom that we shared with our baby <laughs> sister gabby yeah and i remember just looking out our 18th floor windows and singing along and imagining that i was in the show Um, the first time I saw it was when the national tour came to Chicago and I went to see it with Aaron, my eighth grade boyfriend. (laughs) And, um, he was also a Broadway fan. And I just remember we, we felt very grown up, like going downtown and going to the, going to the theater. Well, yeah, eighth grade, you must've been like 13. Yeah. But I think the tour didn't come until maybe 97. So maybe I was like a freshman. Yeah, but that's young. That's young to be going on a theater date. Yeah, for sure. We yeah. felt very grown up going yeah. by ourselves down to the theater. That's cute. And, you know, one of the biggest biggest themes in the show, I think, is figuring out how to continue to make art and tell stories in times of tragedy and, mm-hmm. and challenge. And this show exposed me to this bohemian artist lifestyle and what that could potentially look like, even Mm -hmm. if it is the musical theater fantasy version of it. (laughs) Um, And, you know, watching it again recently for the pod, I felt inspired that there is hope to make music and theater and art during times of darkness and how important and necessary that is. Yeah. Um, You know, here we are in New York city in 2023 during this like incredibly challenging time to be a a freelance artist. Um, And I think it's just interesting that, you know, we were sharing that little bedroom back in 96 and I'm, (laughs) we're singing La Vie Boheme and, you know, now we're sharing an apartment in Brooklyn and doing a podcast about this show and being artists and theater makers in this city and the, the connections of that and the irony of all that is like not lost on me right now. And I'm just, Mm -hmm. 
I'm really great to I'm really grateful to be experiencing this with you, Sarah. Yeah. I think it's same. it's um it's a hard lifestyle um here in New York City, but um it's as the cast and <laughs> characters of, of Rent show us, I think it's it's worth it and sometimes it's all that we can do. We just have to keep mm-hmm. making films and making songs and doing mm-hmm. shows and pushing on. And to me, one of the characters that embodies that sentiment the most is Angel. Mm-hmm. And I am so excited for our special guest of this episode. Yeah. Um, someone who played Angel in Rent on Broadway and around um, the, the tour um, and in Canada and whatnot. So I'm so excited to talk with Jay Rodriguez. Me too. Uh, Me too. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. But first, let's hear what we had to say about watching Rent at Toft. Yeah, let's do it. Archive Afternoon. We went to Toft and we watched Rent. Woo. 1996 production at the New York Theater Workshop. This was the pre-Broadway production. Yeah. I have never seen Rent before. Um, I've seen the movie, but that's it. I've never seen a live production or any kind of like bootlegs or anything. So it was pretty exciting to see it for the first time. Yeah. I've I've seen the national tour, I think, three or four times. And so I and I know it very well. Mm-hmm. But it was so cool to see the original cast in this off-Broadway, pre-Broadway scenario. Yeah. They were great. Yeah, and I just went to that theater for the first time recently, so it oh, was right. cool. I just a few days ago was inside of that same theater, so it's it pretty cool. Looks like a cool space. This was like a unit set, just like I remember from the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, Very like urban decay, kind of industrial. Some of it was like kind of realistic, and then some of it was like more abstract. Like sometimes they had the table was the door or, right. you know, um, and in the opening scene, we're like in Mark and Roger's apartment, but we don't really know like what that is. They just describe yeah. it as like having an extension cord through the window and like they're squatting in this big industrial warehouse building. Right. Yeah. And there's like scaffolding that they use often and mm-hmm. that becomes different locations and... The band is there on the mm-hmm. the band was stage, on stage right, right upstage right side, and um, yeah, it was kind of pretty much how I remembered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what were, what are some of your other reactions from it, Sarah? Because you since you haven't seen it, you know, like what did were there any surprises or like? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because kind of the image I had in my head was maybe a little bit more chaotic than what I ended up seeing today. Like this staging for this show was a little bit more mild than what I was expecting, except for like the iconic stuff from like La Vie Boheme. Sure. um, Or the snow sequence where there's all these different scenes happening at once where they're kind of in that empty lot where people are selling stuff and there's all kinds of people. And yeah. um, Collins is trying to get his coat back and all that. Um, that stuff was all kind of the energy of what I always had envisioned listening to the cast album because I've listened to that original Broadway cast album a bajillion times <laughs> yeah. because of you because you you had that two CD set. Yep. And I wore it out. I listened yeah. to it so many times. 
Yeah, I mean, this was interesting today for me at Toft because this was the first show we've ever watched at Toft where I literally knew every lyric. Mm. And so there was not one single surprise moment for me. Mm-hmm. And so it was more of a passive, observational mm. kind of viewing for me today. Mm-hmm. Whereas shows that I wasn't as familiar with or hadn't ever seen live, I'm like really invested in the story and like, you know, but this time I could kind of watch it as an observer of the medium and as an Mm. observer of the piece Mm -hmm. instead of like being really in it, you know? Yeah. So that was kind of cool and different, you know? Yeah. The first couple scenes I was like, wow, we're putting this in the queer series and it opens with these two like straight guys just singing to each other. Yeah. Like... (laughs) Just like these bros are just like being sad artists. Mm -hmm. Like, and then finally when Angel, like we we get a taste of the queerness with Collins. Yeah. But then when Angel enters the story, it's like, okay, great. Like we're in full on queer mode now. This is Yeah, yeah. And we don't get to see Maureen for quite a while. Oh yeah, Maureen's entrance is oh, and that's another thing I noticed in today's production, they just like the light of the motorcycle was pretty rudimentary. Yeah. But when I saw it on tour, I recall it felt like a real motorcycle was like rolling on stage. Yeah, I feel like maybe I remember the the anecdotal story that she does ride out on a real motorcycle on Broadway. I think she did. And then, uh, you know, in the tour tour as well. I think she did. If listeners, if you saw the Broadway production or you saw it on tour and have like a, you know, actual memory, like message us. Because I think I I also recall a real motorcycle in Maureen's entrance. And it's cool because like you said, she's we've waited so long. We've heard about we've tangled about Mm -hmm. her. We've you know, we've heard all about the, you know. Uh, the myth or whatever. Yeah, it's like Maureen. the first thing we learn about Mark, really, about his like personal life. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Clearly on the cast album and from my memory of the tour, Over the Moon was way more unhinged yeah. than the version that we saw today. Yeah. I think this early off-Broadway production clearly was like more tame i feel like eventually they let them like or they like drew out more of the unhinged like wild moments even just like the side characters um the woman who plays 
the uh, she plays multiple characters but in one scene during snow i think she's like who the fuck do you think yes. you are i love that woman <laughs> me too and she's so great and that the performance we saw today she was just kind of like who the fuck do you think and i but on the cast album she's like who the fuck do you think you are? i'm just like what where was that like yeah so whoever yeah. like md'd the cast album maybe i don't know like who i don't know who's to credit for like drawing out even more energy in every moment yeah but when I saw it, I feel like at least at that first time I saw it in like the 90s in Chicago, my every minute I felt like there was just an explosion of like, yeah, Whoa! intensity. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like maybe, maybe um, because it was so different and new and at New York Theater Workshop, like they were still just like figuring out how mm-hmm. to dig into that. Yeah, like how wild can we get or yeah. how far can we take because this? Because the audience I felt was sort of like, what's happening? Because uh, after the first few numbers, there was just like awkward smattering <laughs> yeah. of applause where people were like, what are we watching right now? But then by the time Angel came out and every number after that, the audience was like cheering. Like they gave a thunderous applause at the top of act two. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the audience just didn't know how to react. And I seem to notice that they started to perk up and f- applaud more after, definitely after Angel, but then also after... um no day but today. Mm, yeah. And I just think that it's also telling that that song is so moving. That phrase, I yeah. think, is so inspiring. Totally. And, you know, there was there was a moment during Act 2 where I was like, ooh, this show is long. <laughs> it is like, kind of long. And I'm just like, what? A, I, why did I love this again? Like, <laughs> just like, why am I obsessed with this show? And I And then the reprise of no day but today at the end mm. i'm just like yeah it's so this beautiful. is it like no day but today like that's the whole point to me yeah that's the whole point of the show yeah just like live in the present we could all die tomorrow this is all we've got yeah and also about like how to make the how to enjoy it even though it's shitty not just that life could end tomorrow, but like your life now may absolutely suck, mm-hmm. but there's still like beauty and love and self-expression. Yeah. Yeah. They're all like struggling to be seen and heard and tell their stories and whatever their medium is, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was really inspirational, and it still really applies, you know? Yeah, it really does. Thankfully, we are not in the midst of an an epidemic of the AIDS crisis anymore, Um, but we're in our own global pandemic situation at the moment, Mm -hmm. and global, you know, unrest, and just, it's it's a dumpster fire out there, so. Yeah, totally. It really did feel like it all still was... 100% applicable. (laughs) Yeah. And we're in like terrible inflation and, you know, times are really hard for people. I don't, I don't know if there's necessarily as much of a squatting population all over (laughs) New York city. Like there was in the nineties in certain neighborhoods like alphabet city or like Dumbo, but um, people are really facing very hard times and the rent is too damn high. How we gonna pay? How we gonna pay? <laughs> I don't know, sometimes. Why hadn't they paid rent for a whole year, though? they That's the thing, is they don't really go into 
the right amount of detail with this agreement. Yeah, it's a little loose. The a little loose. terms of this arrangement they had with Benny. Yeah, but I what's think up, Benny? Benny seems to be kind of an opportunist and a flip-flopper. Right. It's like the long and short of it is that Benny screwed them. But yeah. he know. pretty much told them they could live there. And they were going to create this like artist commune, you know, workspace kind of thing. Cyber arts. Yeah. And then he was like, now I'm your landlord and you owe me all the money. Right. Rude. Rude. Benny's a dick. Benny is a dick. But Tay Diggs. Hot. Is so hot. His voice is gorgeous. Such a good voice. And I just kept thinking, I want Tay Diggs back. Where's he been? Yeah. Tay Tay Diggs. Where are you? What are you up to, buddy? Come out, man. Like, not like come out, but like. (laughs) I mean, if you sure, hey. if you want to, if wow. that's if that's your truth, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, get out here, Tay Diggs, because I miss seeing and hearing your voice, your right. face. Yeah, so many good things going on with Tay Diggs. Right, it's kind of hard to hate the villain when they're as sexy as Tay Diggs. Yeah, and also he was like their friend, and also he's cool. So it's like hard. Right. It's hard to hate Benny in general, and I think that's. What's interesting about that character is mm-hmm. that he is like charismatic and cool and like in the second act he he starts kind of hanging out with them all again. Even though and then he and then he fucks over Mimi and he's the worst. But like right. you know. There's yeah. a moment, there's a moment where like him and Collins and Mark are hanging out. Right, right. And as much as they're all fighting with each other all the time, they're never <clears throat> really like reading into Benny for how much of an asshole he is. Yeah, totally. Like you'd think they'd be more mad at him, but they're <laughs> they're just kind of like, fuck you, Benny. And then they're like, hey man, hey, you're cool. Hang out. You're gonna buy stuff for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um I I noticed that this show didn't have any moving lights yeah. whatsoever. And it had very dark lighting a lot of times, mm-hmm. which was interesting. And I, I'm sure looked way better in person. Yeah, you're right. It was like very simple. It was very simple, kind of sparse. Kind of like on or off. There were a couple really cool moments, though. Like um, over the moon, they had this really low angle spot pin spot not like a follow spot but like a pin spot thing Mm -hmm. on maureen so that her shadow was huge massive silhouette on the back wall yeah yeah that was so cool and the big moonlight that they have up behind her shoulder Mm -hmm. that That was was really cool and then there was a couple moments where there were some like really isolated spots and it looked kind of cool yeah so that makes me think of another moment that i seem to recall was enhanced for the Broadway version and then the tour because I seem to recall that in contact in that moment where they're under the sheet mm-hmm. and he like sings take me mm-hmm. take me I think he's gets flown oh in the Broadway version wow not like super high but I seem to recall that he kind of lifts up lifted up and the out fabric of the crowd. becomes like way bigger wow and they're all kind of dancing underneath him whoa and then it it's a little more obvious that he dies because he's just been like up here and he's literally like wow going up into heaven. I again these are like my 90s early 2000s brain is fuzzy so <laughs> listeners if you can verify for me See, you're making that angel flies during contact like he gets raised up in the white sheet like let me know because I'm curious if I just made that up in my head or if it actually happened. 
But it was still cool how they did it in this version where they were like backlit or like yeah. underlit from that white sheet. Yeah, yeah. You know, the cast album, you know, it's a two CD set because mm-hmm. it's so huge. It's a rock opera. Yeah, it's they're pretty much sung through. Everything. Yeah, there are very few scenes we saw today that don't appear on the cast album. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> very little. Tiny very, I would little say just a few minutes are, yeah. are cut out from the, from the album. Yeah, so I think the only things that were enhanced were some more energetic staging and some improvements with lighting and yeah and then it we noticed in the clippings we saw today at toft that there was like an update in the tour in like Mm -hmm. 2011 or something where they like updated all the costumes and made them more colorful and kind of gave it a facelift Mm -hmm. totally Um, when we first started hearing the audio on the recording today it was just like the crowd noise of people being seated and Mm -hmm. then the band was just sort of like tuning and warming up and the bass was doing this like slap bass. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it sounds like Seinfeld. <laughs> Maybe it was the guy who plays the bass on Seinfeld. It absolutely could oh. be. Did you know that's actually Keys? Oh, well, maybe it was Keys. It, what we heard too, because there were a lot of like synthy kind of things happening in that band. I think it was the bass player think, slapping, yeah, slapping that bass right before the show. It's just like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. The music really, I like watching the show again today. I was struck by how much this show influenced me mm-hmm. musically. Yeah. Um, there's there, so many good songs in it. So I mean, many good really songs. It's really incredible music. It's really incredible music. La Vie Boheme is such an amazing song. And I thought about today, like how much it reminds me of hair and then mm. so many of those clippings we were looking at today compared rent to hair yeah um how it's kind of like listy mm-hmm. uh, and and culture pop culture yeah and this like ensemble like yeah community yeah kind of vibe but it also made me think of we didn't start the fire <laughs> yeah by billy joel uh-huh. and uh i don't know i, ju- I just like as an adult watch, watching it, I had such a different reaction than I did as a kid. You know, totally. when I first heard this music, I was nine years old. <laughs> I did not know most of the references, you know. Um, Jonathan Larson said, I'm going to have the entire cast sing to faggots, lezzies, dykes, cross-dressers too." To me, to me, to me, to you and you and you, you and you. Yeah. And I love that. It's such a great lyric. Having that in my mind and mm-hmm. my brain and in my mouth as a child. Yes. <laughs> very good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's the gay that's the gay agenda, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Representation. Yeah. Just acknowledgement of all those identities and then the inclusivity. Of you and you and you and you and you. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I thought that was really amazing. Yeah. You know, seeing all those actors, so many of those people in the cast ended up going on to enormous things. Huge Jesse L. Martin in this viewing was my favorite person in the whole show playing Tom Collins. He was great. He was so good. And I've always enjoyed that role, but never really like cared about that role as much as like Mimi or Maureen or whatever. But Mm -hmm. Today, I was like, oh, Collins is my favorite person in this show. Yeah. 
And the relationship between Collins and Angel is just so sweet. And yeah, then beautiful. I'll Cover You, I think, is just such a beautiful song. It really is. And then when it's brought back in the funeral scene, Ugh. and he just rips your heart out. Seriously. With that rendition. So many reprises. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that. And the way that all the melodies are woven together at times, yeah. especially at the end when it's no day but today over without you. Mm, yeah. And like a couple other things mixed together. Yeah. Yeah. Just brilliant, brilliant songwriting. Yeah. Really cool music throughout the whole show. I really loved at the end when Mark finally shows some of his footage on the projector. Yeah. That was cool. It mm-hmm. was like just really raw, like on the back brick wall. Right. And- was kind of distorted and shitty looking and it was it was really interesting it was cool it kind of brought a real sense of like specificity to it that made it feel more authentic mm-hmm. um yeah and i think in the in the broadway version like i think when i saw it on the tour that footage goes on a little bit longer mm-hmm. than what we saw today yeah um i think yeah. it's like Almost that whole, once it comes to the up-tempo, there's only mm-hmm. us. It was pretty much like the rest of the song was, wow. it, again, this is my memory of it, like fuzzy memory of it. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I really love that aspect. Because then it you kind of get to see a flash, a quick flashback of like the whole year that yeah. you've just witnessed of this group yeah. of friends. Yeah, I like that. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So um, here comes the most important question. How queer is it? <laughs> okay, we are rating all of these shows on a queerness scale from highest most queer is the queerest queer fuck. fuck. And then below that is hella gay. Mm-hmm. And then we have... Love is love. Oh, just medium. Medium. And then a little less gay would be fruity. <laughs> and the least gay is Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. Because if you if he didn't tell you, you probably wouldn't know. I don't know. Yeah. So baseline gay, <clears throat> but then yeah, from Pete Buttigieg up to queer as fuck. Yeah. What do you think? Sarah, what's your rating? You know, for 1996, I'm going to say this was hella gay and almost queer as fuck. I'd say if it weren't centered around two white straight guys, it would be closer to queer as fuck. But having a 
gay male couple character characters who one of them is also a drag queen Mm -hmm. and then we have a lesbian and a bisexual we've got you know a lot of people with varying degrees of sexual expression Mm -hmm. um and a lot of varying degrees of gender expression and for 1996 and for broadway in general i would say hella gay yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Hella Gay is also my choice rating. Um, and I'll reference what you just said about the lyrics of La Vie Boheme. I mean, any show that's going to have the entire ensemble <laughs> sing, Faggots, lezzies, dykes, cross-dresses to, to me, to me, to you and, and you, you and you, you and you. I mean, that's hella gay. <laughs> that's hella gay. That's very gay. If you're going to literally say the word faggot in your show in a positive way. Yeah. That show's hella gay. Yeah. Pretty good show, I'd say. I think it was a good show. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the good show stamp of approval on that. Yep, me too. And my little eighth grade self was really <laughs> <laughs> vibing today. Today, we are absolutely thrilled to welcome a queer icon and Emmy-winning star of TV, film, Broadway, and cabaret. He played the role of Angel in Rent on Broadway when he was just 18 years old. He is best known for being one of the original Fab Five as the culture guy on the groundbreaking Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. You may have also seen him on Grey's Anatomy, How I Met Your Mother, All My Children, Malibu Country, Uncoupled, and in films like The Producers, Bros, and Oy Vey, My Son is Gay, just to name a few. He recently returned home to New York to present his multi-night cabaret show, A Thousand Sweet Kisses at 54 Below. Please welcome to the good show pod, Jay Rodriguez! Dear listener, by the way, we had some technical, like... (laughs) Snag little snags to get here, and we're thrilled to be here talking with you today. We persevered. Uh, Yes, we made it through. We We got the camera out. There's wires. There are cables. There's multiple screens open so we can see each other and hear each other. This is great. Devices on devices. Devices on devices on devices devices from coast to coast. (laughs) We did it, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh my God, Jay Rodriguez. Thank you so so much for joining us today on the Good Show podcast. Um, our first question for you is, what are your pronouns and how do you identify? Yeah, so I am he, him, his. I identify as queer. I um, remember when we first were getting offered Queer Eye. Um, and the first, before we even aired, we shot commercials that NBC paid for. And it was fancy because they sent a car service and they shot them on film. And that's when we were like, this might like be something. <laughs> and I remember the script required each of us to have our own commercial where we made over a couple. And at the end, the wife would turn to us and say, thanks, queer guy. And I remember at the time being so triggered by it. Mm. A couple of years prior, Anthony Rapp from Rent, I'd read an article where he self-identified as queer. And it was the first time I heard a person um, sort of reclaim what I'd always known to be a slur. Mm. And that always stuck Mm. with me. And so going from getting kind of like feeling ick about being called queer guy to suddenly discovering my queer identity. Um, it's the, it's what I think fits best, uh, for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so interesting to see how language evolves over the generations and that's, yeah, yeah, that's so cool. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. And um, this is an interview that's part of our queer series that we're doing. We're focusing on all queer shows. This episode is specifically focused on Rent. Uh, Kristen and I both identify as queer, and we're sisters, and, you know, we are big musical theater fans, so that's sort of where now we're coming clarify, from. Now, to clarify for the older folk who are watching, you mean sisters, or do you mean sisters? <laughs> sisters? We're close. No, no, not, not, not that. We're literal biological siblings. siblings. <laughs> yeah. Siblings. Got it. Because yeah. that's that whole Joanne Maureen moment right. in life. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. It's confusing. It's confusing. Yeah. No, actual sisters. Actual sisters. <laughs> Got it. Speaking of rent, you were so young when you took over the role of Angel on Broadway, just 18 years old, a little bebe. Um, what was it like growing up in, I think, a religious family, right? Singing with gospel yeah. choir in Long Island. And then now you're yeah. playing a drag queen at 18 on Broadway. And then you're like launched into stardom as a queer icon in your 20s. So tell us a little bit about how that was. So, I mean, I was uh, going to performing arts high school, which was already tricky because I grew up in a very evangelical, born-again, uh, single-parent household mm. where my mom didn't allow anything in the house that wasn't for the glory of God. Mm. So to listen to homework or memorize songs, I would smuggle in burnt CDs and write like <laughs> Amy Grant on them. And really, it would be the soundtrack of Rent. Yes! Um, yeah. Yes. So that was my life. So my exposure to the outside world was really through performing arts high school. Um, in 11th and 12th grade. And one of the things we went to go see was Rent in, I believe, April of 1997. I didn't have college plans. My mom was not going to support anything that would make me more that way. Mm. Um, I hadn't done anything with a boy. So when I saw Rent, I didn't see myself playing the role of Angel. I couldn't even relate, even though I loved the character. I just had never explored queer culture. And I felt at that time deep, you know, inner homophobia about the feelings I had. There wasn't language. And while the viewer can't see this, you two ladies can, it was really tricky. I didn't even understand how the, um, how sex worked. I was like, mm. how did, what's this? How yeah. does, this how <laughs> this and I'm, pu I'm pushing my two fingers together to suggest other <laughs> And then I was like, and it's not going to go where poop comes out. Like I just honestly, <laughs> the internet was cool. Yeah. The internet was for rich people. Right. The, private computers were for the fancy. I didn't have access. And one time I tried Googling a picture of a naked man at school, like, and it literally took 37 minutes and I just got to the nipple. I was like, I'll guess what else happens. Like, I don't even know. Um, so I, I basically had a school teacher who said, you should just audition for Rent. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure I should. And at my senior sh showcase at Performing Arts, a, a girl who had graduated before me, she never met me and she came to see the show as an alumni. And she said, you're so good. I think you need to be my agent, which was at Abrams Agency. I met them. I, drove, I literally took the Long Island Railroad, played hooky from school, went into the city without my mom knowing, ah. met with this woman. The first thing she said was, you know, here, read the scene, cold, and let's see how you can act. And then she said, do you sing? I sang Glory from Rent. I was about just to the chorus uh, after Glory, right? So then I... She was picked up the phone, called, called Bernard Telsey's casting office, who was casting the show. She said, hey, I know you're going today. Could you see this kid? I this kid in my office. He's perfect for the show. She got wow. me an appointment that day. Oh, my gosh. I left her office, went to the audition. I was wearing a suit because, I don't know, agent. And <laughs> I wrapped it around my waist like a skirt, went to Dwayne Reed, got some clear lip gloss. Um, <laughs> I knew the show like the back of my hand like everyone did at sure. the time. Who was yeah. in did Today for You. And the casting director on the spot gave me a callback. I didn't know what that meant, but I was panicked. I didn't have a headshot or a resume like the other people in the waiting room. Wow. wow. And 
So the next day I told her and she goes, um, we need you to come back in tomorrow morning. We'd like to sign you. I was like, oh, okay. I don't even know what that means, but okay. I have an agent now. Cool. Signed, went to the callback the next day. It was for Bernard Telsey. I sang today for you. And he looked up at me and he said, where have you been? Oh, wow. And I was like, well, I, I didn't have a headshot and I didn't, I don't have, I just got an agent. And he's like, I, I would have hired you without an agent. You're perfect. I'm giving you a callback. Then it was like moving up the train. You like do choreography. Then it's the director work session. Then it's the producers. Then wow. it's Jonathan Larson's parents wow. um, who are extensively involved in the process hmm. of hiring uh, leads mm -hmm. and needed uh, pr to approve them. Um, and I had a choice to come and do, I think, New York as an understudy or open Toronto um, with the original creative team. And I chose the latter so I could create the role yeah. and not follow someone else's path. It's really smart. And so they sent me to Canada for a year. It was my first city of independence, first time making a check, first time paying bills, first time being able to explore my sexuality. Um, and I, I, I did all those things for a year and it was amazing. And when that show ended, I came back to New York City, slept on a friend's couch for two weeks and then rent Broadway called and said, we'd like you to come understudy Wilson Cruz for his final two weeks. And I did that. And then a couple months later, I was playing the role. Wow. That's really amazing. Yeah. What That's an, an incredible, incredible story. experience. Yeah. yeah. Wild. So amazing. It, is, it was really wild because I, the first time I went on for uh, Angel... I remember it was moving because I was on stage. I'd been in rehearsal, but I was on stage with an audience. And when we sang Seasons, I looked down at the seat that I had slept on the streets mm. like a year prior to get wow. those $20 rush tickets. And wow. there I was on the opposite uh, side of things. That gave me goosebumps. That, me too. I have a <laughs> on my Instagram, go check it out, at J-A-I Rodriguez. is a picture of me as a fan standing in front of Wilson Heredia because the doors of the theater were the Seasons of Love image. And I was pretending to sing Seasons of Love. And literally from the time of that photo being taken, which I believe was May 97, just barely six months later, October 20th, 1997 was my first day of work. Wow, that is so cool. That's really, really amazing. Also, I grew up in a really like a big mega church where it was like twenty five hundred seats. So when I think the first theater we played was like eighteen hundred, I was like, oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm used to this crowd. Like, I know Sunday. None of that hit me. I didn't have uh, performance anxiety regarding crowd size. Mm -hmm. It was really about living up to the expectations of the professionals who had dozens of theatrical and television credits in my cast and. I think trying to not be the youngest, most ignorant one about life, um, that was the trickier part because I was exploring what most people do in their adolescence um, in my late teens. Mm. And so trying to understand I am a lead, even though my understudies for my role are 10 years older with dozens of Broadway credits and leading roles and original Broadway soundtracks, I got hired to play this role. Mm -hmm. This is my role. Mm -hmm. I have to own it and not feel guilt or shame that this moment came earlier than I anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone really struggles with that imposter syndrome. And when you're yeah. so incredibly young and experiencing what a lot of queer people experience, which is that sort of delayed adolescence, like we sort of have to be teenagers like like young tweens a little bit later in life and for some people even later in life i and wonder if y'all had this the fashion exploration when you leave the house 
you kind of overshoot the mark of where you've landed today. <laughs> but just because you're now able, right? You know, I was wearing crop tops and like this is again late '90s, so things Spice Girls, but mm -hmm. like fuzzy jackets, platform shoes, glitter, things that like now I would wear and feel more costumey with, and maybe an accent piece of that here or there. But I was giving head to toe. All of us, to be honest, in the cast dressed very similarly to how our characters dressed. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was by design, but it, it was true in the late 90s and early 2000s. We did look like in our social life and at events, what our characters were wearing in the show, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is fascinating. I look at the pictures, I'm like, we were literally killing, like, it's the aesthetic of like, what the kids wear now or season one of Euphoria. Yeah, it's like totally. aesthetically the vibe. And I have a picture, like from my opening night where I wore an eggplant colored, it was a woman's suit because I couldn't find anything small enough and fashion forward for opening night. It was an eggplant suit that was completely like a glittery fabric with no shirt and a black smoky sparkly eye. Yes. And an AIDS ribbon. It was 97. And I, I, I never forget that image because I remember how I could have never worn that back home. Mm, and I look absolutely. at it now yeah. and I was like, is this, I thought then, is this too much? And I look at it now and I'm like, it was a sleigh. It was such yes. a sleigh. So ahead of my time. Um, and I'm so glad that I can look back at those moments. And when I second guess decisions now, I can remember that inner confidence that that scared 18 year old boy um, felt. And I can kind of like tap into that when I need it now. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Had you ever done drag in any way before playing Angel in Rent? No. My first time <laughs> in drag was like my costume fittings. Wow. And then Tom Tom Allison, who's a big Broadway star and, and star in Canadian television and stuff, he was my understudy and he took me under his wing. He did drag often. And we started October 20th, which means Halloween was right around the corner. The big gay district in Toronto was Church Street. He did me in full high drag in this sort of RuPaul red patent leather outfit in yes. five-inch stilettos. Mm -hmm. I'd never worn heels. And the bitch put me in a cab and sent me on my, <laughs> on my freaking way. Oh, so no. Out to the wolves. Out onto the streets of Toronto. Yeah. And I was <laughs> underage, but they didn't card drag queens. So sure. I got into every bar. Yes. And it was wild. Like, it was wild. Like, I, I think about that now. I wouldn't even do that now. Like, I'd be so scared to go to another city and, like, go out and drag, like, by myself. Like, I wouldn't. But I did it then because I, he felt and I felt that it was important that I have this lived experience. Mm -hmm. And it was remarkable. One of the biggest learning curves, though, was Michael Greif, the director, instilling in me, Jay, you're a fantastic actor. Mm. Angel's not a woman. Angel's a boy in a dress. Mm. Angel is a drag queen. And from this era, it doesn't matter if you're pretty. You, you know, you're playing the pretty. You're playing the as if Angel were a woman. And I don't think that's the mark we're trying to hit. And it was right for the period. Like, then he turned me on to movies like Tu Wong Fu mm. and Paris is Burning. Mm -hmm. And I did not play Angel as a trans woman because Angel lives very much uh, as a boy a lot of, of their life. And so you see that. And so I knew, one of the people I met who, who adopted me was this woman named Rosie who had served her country and was a former veteran in the Canadian forces. And she was friends with one of our Mimis. 
And every night after the show, she'd make me a brown cow, which is Kahlua and cream. Yeah. And she would go to this store because she knew I liked wings and get like chicken wings. And we would eat and like smoke weed and like drink and chat. And she happened to be trans and she was in her 60s. Wow. And so I knew the difference between what it was to be a drag queen and to be a trans woman. Mm -hmm. And while that can overlap, in this instance, we made the deliberate decision that for me, it wasn't going to. Um, and it was fascinating. I started exploring drag culture and the world, and it was different. You know, the makeup aesthetically was more trying to look passable and pretty as opposed to the avant-garde and more... Um, uh, exaggerated, beautiful, gorgeous, extreme makeup that we see today. There mm -hmm. wasn't a whole mm -hmm. lot of divines or Jackie Beats that were um, in the mainstream. They were all trying to look like, re you know, in air quotes, real girls. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so, so I, with my little twinky ass self <laughs> and three strands of facial hair, um, <laughs> wow. and he was like, because of that, it's really important that you ground the character of Angel. Um, which was a great note because it allowed me to have my fabulousness, but it also allowed me to have the strength of a Angel's masculine side as well. And as an adult at 44, I have all those colors. Mm. I have all those shapes. Mm -hmm. I'm not one note. I'm not just one thing. So if you see me out at an event and I choose to wear lashes and a glitter eye, that is just my expression that day and something I'm comfortable with, but it's not indicative of me being trans or, uh, or even non-binary. It's just an expression that day of part of the colors of what makes me me. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the, I think, most incredible and beautiful things about being a queer person is that spectrum of identity and pr presentation. And everybody has it. It's whether or not you know, however they identify, even straight folks, it's how much of that are they comfortable accessing and presenting. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times I learned in Queer Eye, there were a lot of things, whether we'd find a lipstick concealer stick that men had hidden um, to cover a zit because mm -hmm. there was shame in the early 2000s about men wearing makeup. Obviously, mm -hmm. there still is. Mm -hmm. That because they wanted to have clear skin, and this was what they chose to do, that there should be shame or it's or feminizing. And um, and we are we allowed to talk? Is this like, can I talk freely or do I have to censor 100%. what I said? Go Say whatever it. you want. Okay. So we found a dildo in a guy's nightstand. And I, as, as raunchy as that sounds, he turned to us and said, well, it's not gay if your girlfriend's doing it. And I said, uh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You're it's right. legit. <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that this man was like, this whole body gets to be sexually pleasured yeah. by the woman that I love. And I feel no shame about that with these cameras rolling. And I will tell you at that time at lunch, I think my memory is we did have conversations like, oh, what if he's a closet case, whatever. And now with more lived experience 20 years later, I'm like, no, like, why wouldn't, why, why wouldn't he? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, yeah. there's, why wouldn't he be able to safely explore without having to be gay? To me, being gay is who you choose to love and also sometimes go to bed with. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. Um, if you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, back to rent and sort of your own identity and, and 
what you were experiencing in your personal life then, um, I listened to your interview on Was It Chance, another BPN show, and um, you mentioned that your first kiss was in rehearsal for Rent. So well, not just the first kiss, though. Oh. Ooh, okay. Tell us more. Can we talk? Please. Let's talk. Let's talk. Okay, ready to spill? I'm spilling some tea. I talk. We want to hear the tea. Where we go? Please. So I, we already know, right? Bright eyed, bushy tail. Like I don't even know what Holland Oates is, and we're on a talk show with them, and we get this group <laughs> picture with the cast. Holland Oates is in it, and I, they're like, "Jake, come here." I was late for the picture. I get in, and I look over, and there's an older guy. I'm like, "Who are you? You're not in Rent." And the whole cast was like, "No." <laughs> so that's I did. I say that to put you in the mindset of who I was then. Yeah. Isolated, mm -hmm. didn't know anything. Baby, so little I'm, Broadway again, baby. Like a sixteen-year-old, maybe fifteen, on a good day. And um, <laughs> so then, one of the cast members, I won't name names, very handsome, very muscly, like the body of like something I'd only see an international male when it had been accidentally sent to my house, right? <laughs> and, he was staying in the same hotel because we were both American. And he said, hey, do you want to come over and play some video games and order a pizza? Mm. That's the modern day Netflix and chill. I was just and about to told. say that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll go over there. I'm wearing pajamas because I consider it a slumber party. He offers me a cocktail and I'm like, oh my God, I never had alcohol before. Like this feels so naughty. Wow. Fuzzy navel, gateway drug. Yeah. Uh -huh. Then he brings out a bong. He's like, do you want to smoke? Now I know we sing about it. I'm method. I'm like, I have to try it. So now, <laughs> you got to try it. Buzz, I'm high with a full belly of pizza. Yeah. And he turns to me and he says, you know you have to kiss a guy in the show, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's like acting and stuff. He's like, they ever <laughs> kissed a guy? And I was like, no, never. Wait, have you? And he's like, well, sometimes me and the guys make out on the road just, just to fuck with the girls. And I'm like, wait, you, you made out with your guy friends? He's like, yeah, I'm telling you, bro. You want to kiss one of your guy friends. This way you don't feel uncomfortable on stage. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm not from here. And I don't think my guy friends back home would really go for that. And without missing a beat, he was like, well, I'm your friend, Aww. right? We could kiss now. This way you don't feel uncomfortable. And let me tell you, all of a sudden, I'm like kissing him. And I understand now what Ooh. love songs are scored for. <laughs> it's not, every queer person knows this feeling yeah. when all of a sudden you're like, this is what it's yes. supposed to be. Yeah. Yes. And he was so strong. And all of a sudden, like, I felt like his body against mine. And like, the strength of his hand was at the back of my head. Mm. And all of a sudden, I'm on my knee. And a <gasps> penis in front of me, but <gasps> it was uncircumcised, so I had never seen one of those. And there I am, trying to like find it, karate You're chopping. Like, what is going on? <laughs> and then up close and personal, it looked like it was crying. So I kept on like doing this, and I was like, you know what? Don't play with your food. That's <laughs> rude. And then, and then literally, I was like, this is the moment that like makes you know Jesus sad, and I'm gonna do the thing that makes <laughs> the capital G word. So I took Ooh. a deep breath. And I gave the world's worst blowjob for about 60 seconds till without <laughs> warning, he just came. And I looked up at him, my eyes immediately involuntarily filled with tears. Oh, baby. And then I threw up on him. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> threw up on him three times. Oh, oh no. no. And that, ladies, is how I became a homosexual. Wow. Oh, wow. wow. You know, what a story, though. And I did. And then guess what? Then they assigned dressing rooms a week later, and no. he was my dressing roommate <gasps> oh. for the remainder of the run. Was it awkward, or were you like pals? Like it was like a, it was an experience. He knew, no. he knew <laughs> I was an experience. He knew that I had, you know, been overserved by one. Like I had one. You know, <laughs> but like when you don't know how much weed to smoke, yeah, how do you? Bomb how rips, do you know? I mean, and then, like, 
alcohol and weed sometimes don't play well yeah. together with pizza yeah, and totally. nerds Especially and semen. It's, it's, it's all it's yeah, a lot. So it's a imagine lot mixing together. Your, you're warned about homosexuality your whole life. You know you feel so deeply connected to like this is who you are, and that's your first experience. Mm-hmm. So I was celibate angel for like seven months. Oh, wow. Because I was like, well, if that shit is it, I am not that. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, it, it's wild, but uh, that's kind of what happened. I talk about that in my cabaret shows because then from there, you know, I kind of I had my first boyfriend. And then I got queer. I we broke up in three months. And I get and all of a sudden I'm like propelled into queer stardom. Wow. And I'm like my sexual experiences are quite limited in this mm-hmm. space. You know. Yeah, that's overwhelming. I don't throw up anymore. Because <laughs> of that, but... Oh, good. <laughs> that's good. Glad you fixed that little situation. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of your cabaret shows, you are um, not new to the cabaret scene. Um, when you were doing Rent on Broadway, you were also doing a weekly cabaret show. What was that like doing so much nightlife and doing eight shows a week? How did you keep up with that kind of a schedule? So this and- was wild because at that time, there was a venue on 16th and 9th called XL, and it was new, and they had female Broadway divas and singing drag queens and no cis cisgender gay men. They were like, nope, Hmm. you guys cannot pack a house. I begged and pleaded after seeing the show. I was like, I just give me one night. I did one night, think gay Justin Timberlake, top 40 (laughs) live band, three background singers. I opened with Dirty, Christina Aguilera, in the chaps with dancers singing live. Wow. Amazing. It sounded just like the record. We had electric drums, double keyboards. We had the sample going like... It was insane. It got so packed that they were like, we want you next week. And I did that show probably for about three or four years before wow. I had to leave because queer I got really busy. And I Shoshana Bean took over for me. It was oh, called amazing. Twisted Cabaret Monday. Yeah. But it was really tricky to try to navigate doing eight shows a week and then also 12 additional songs at night. And one of the biggest tips someone gave me was um, warming up warming up, and warming down mm-hmm. your voice. Warming down. Warming down. So like, I know. But Tell then us more about I, during that. that era, I couldn't do drugs. I couldn't drink. Not that I wanted to do drugs, but like ate, I couldn't smoke weed. I couldn't go to bars. I couldn't mm-hmm. go to clubs. So when Queer Eye came along, I was like, oh, this is just talking. Um, <laughs> it was, it was fun, you know? Yes. Get back to the party. <laughs> um, well, so speaking of Queer Eye, you have so many credits in TV, film, theater, particularly in groundbreaking shows and movies that feature queer stories and characters. Like you played Xana in the off-Broadway musical Xana Don't, which I understand is based in like a parallel universe where homosexuality is the norm and heterosexuality is taboo. Um, And so you've been able to watch the entertainment industry evolve over the years from this inside perspective. So how do you think shows like Queer Eye and Rent and Xana Don't and some of the others you've been in, how how do those... Uh, properties like make a positive impact on the LGBTQ plus community and the the movement towards acceptance. Let me say that that's not lost on me. Let me say that I am so, so humbled and beyond lucky that my early work set me up for an outlook on life that was open and um, embraced all folks because rents multi-ethnic, multi-generational cast, people identifying all over the spectrum. Um, so that gave me five years of that. Then I play Xana, who's a non-binary character. They sing a lyric on man, woman, gay, straight, all things in between. Mm. And they presented as such during the course of the show. And then I get Queer Eye. 
and I'm the queer person. And that comes with the political moment of being the first all outgate cast in network television. Yeah. While it did play to society's stereotypes of what gay or queer folks present and what they have to offer, the strength of that show was we had never seen real life queer people and straight people interact in a positive way right mm -hmm. where we developed intimate relation intimate friendships and those intimate relationships were then paralleled into the real world when people watched and said because of you it was safe to come out to my family my uncle came out to me we, I, my family and I would watch your show together and my straight conservative dad would be like oh, I love those guys that's where we were then mm -hmm. we opened the door a little yeah. and and ha off the wings of people like Amanda Beers who got fired from Married with Children. She plays my mom on Bros. From people like Ellen who lost her sitcom for coming out. Yeah. Her perspective, yeah. when I was doing Queer Eye, Sean Hayes, Jack from Will and Grace was closeted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ricky Martin was an out. Right. Okay, mm -hmm. so when we talk about visibility, Lance Bass was still in the closet. Right. Yeah. We were doing something that we did not think was that groundbreaking because most of us were already doing, you know, living our lives pretty openly, just not in a way where when we entered a room, people knew. Mm -hmm. And having had a first look in, there's a couple things I can say. One, the gay explosion of the early aughts was a gay, white, cis right. explosion. It was, there was no room for people like me. I was the diversity hire that mm -hmm. often got the short end of the stick. If there was three pictures of the cast for Vanity Fair, let's say, it was, I was the only queer person of color in all three spreads that included Will and Grace, Queer as Folk, L Word, mm -hmm. um, uh, Boy Meets Boy. Everybody was either white and uh, the people of color were straight people playing queer. Mm -hmm. So one, and all my cast members got to be in two out of the three pictures and I got to be in one and right mm -hmm. at the fold where you had to break the magazine open to see me. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of treatment that queer people of color got back then. It's not like we didn't already have Billy Porter, Wilson Cruz, um, Guillermo Diaz. We had these folks in place. They had credits. They had visibility. They weren't going to be on the cover of magazines. Mm -hmm. They weren't going to get in the big, you know, brand deals. Every single Queer Eye cast member got a million dollar-ish deal during Queer Eye time except for me. And it was mm, answered quite wow. simply via my first interaction with a big agent who tried to woo all five of us. And when they separated us after the original pitch, he said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm an actor. I ran through my credits. I said, I play a straight guy at Lincoln Center in this play. And it was groundbreaking here, the reviews. I played Angel. I played Xana. I was a straight father on all my children. And he looked at me blankly and said, I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to be the next Antonio Banderas, bud. Wow. And I was like, and I took it, I took it because that's what we did then. And yeah. I was like, okay. And I thought I'm used to this, but wow, to way to crush my dreams. But then he said, I said, well, what about the guys have endorsements? It's like, I just, I mean, we can try like Taco Bell or something, but you're not Mexican, are you? And I was like, no. And he was like, I just think I'm going to be honest. You're Latin. You're somewhat feminine. It's going to be hard to sell you. And, you know, I don't know if you're a safe choice and America's ready for you. Mm, so that's wow. my story from the early aughts. Mm -hmm. But Billy Porter had been around. He was, I grew up listening to him. He was a big star. He did movies. His songs were on soundtracks, like for the first Wives Club and stuff. He should have been more famous way earlier. But he says something that I, I, I paraphrase 
but he says trailblazers rarely reap the benefits of the very trail that they helped mm. blaze. Mm. And so while yeah, I so stand on the shoulders of the queer folks, the activists who got zero visibility or recognition for their work and the visible folks in media, the truth is we adjusted the door a little open. And because there's no social media, because there's no documentation of some of my personal things, the jobs I got fired from, TV and movies, fired mm -hmm. for speaking up about the representation in the script. Mm -hmm. Fired. Yeah, Just wow. fired. And so when we talk about trailblazers and stuff, I know it's not like I don't feel hoity-toity or arrogant or boastful. I know what happened behind the scenes, but we didn't have TikTok to give a testimonial to talk about what had happened. And if you mm -hmm. watch Rita Moreno's documentary, she talks about some of the roles she had to play, which were incredibly racist, mm -hmm. but it was all that she was offered at the time. And as hard as she would, you know, try to push, it was like either working or not working at all. And so yeah. I took some roles that I would never take again. Um, and I'm glad that I could have been a voice. And I hope that the ones that I got fired from, that the words I said to these people about what should change in the script stuck with them. And some people who, when I would pitch things that were in like a ballroom space or whatever, and later, you know, at the time they were like, oh, that's tacky. And later they're producing, you know, shows about ballroom culture. I'm like, I'm glad there was an evolution. And I hope that what I said was a seed planted that has now come to fruition, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for speaking up and for being that trailblazer and suffering the consequences, unfortunately, that came with that, especially as a And by a the way, I haven't talked about this. It literally was the pandemic yeah. that I was like, because I thought I had to protect people. Mm -hmm. I thought I had to protect the powers that be, the status quo, because I was fearful I'd never get hired again. But as Me Too started and the BLM movement, and we started talking about the disparities in entertainment, especially for people of color and queer folks, I was like, you are you are doing society a disservice by not sharing your experience and everyone thinking it was all sunshine and rainbows and you were great. I'm not casting blame on anyone specifically. What I'm saying is reflecting my experience. My truth is queer history, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. full stop. It yeah. just is. And um, and I'm not someone who over-exaggerates things to you know, get a soundbite. Like that's just not my vibe. And I really honor and respect because I believe the people that hired me, the people that wanted me to be a part of projects were doing the best they could with what they knew at mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. Now that they know better, I see many of them are doing better. But unless you had our lived experience, those dialogues weren't happening. The performers were scared to talk to the powers that be for fear of being fired. And so the conversations were much more muted than they are today, where there's a sensitivity to it and a lot of action around putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And kind that of that was so long winded. I'm no, sorry. No, it was Please. so well said. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, a lot of I'm I'm just a couple years younger than you, and I I think a lot of younger people today, queer people, or however they might identify, might take for granted how things are now. You know, and just you oh being able God. to share your story of just the last 15, 20 years of what's been going on in the industry is just really important for us to continue to like see like where we've come and how we can do yeah. better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My 26, 26 years was October 20th, first time I got, you know, rent. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing this in queer spaces 
for a, a quarter century. And in that time, I had an insider's look at what the evolution, evolution process um, was like, what I experienced, what I know to be true. And oftentimes I don't see it documented or reflected based on my experience. When, when people ask, they'll ask the affluent white cis gay folk mm -hmm. who had a hard time, but an easier time. Right. They're on the project as the lead. Mm. Right. And people like me are in supporting roles who at that time were just told we should just be thankful to have been invited and to have a job. But if you're going to talk about equity and inclusion and diversity, it's not just sprinkling folks in who fit that. Mm -hmm. It's giving them something meaningful to do and allowing right. us to tell our own stories. That means hiring writers, composers, directors who have the lived experience to be authentic to the stories that are our stories. Preach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in your opinion, what makes a good show and what are some of your favorite shows? Um, you need earworm. You need the song that can't get out of your head. You need a story that makes you have to rush back to your seat at intermission because you want to know what happens. Mm. Um, you need something that even in its simplicity, if it's not a big budget production, captivates you so much of your attention that in the digital age, you don't once look at your cell phone or watch. Mm. Um, and those things can start as simply as having a story that connects and is universal. The details might be complex and you might not actually have anything in common with how the character presents, but their experience of what they're going through is something that's so universal that it draws you in. Um, I think those are the tenets of what makes a show successful. I love that. Amazing. And what are some of your favorite shows? I mean, I'm cliche. I'm going to say Wicked. Yes. I think, yes. 20th anniversary. I think we love magic. Mm -hmm. We love whimsical. Yeah. We love the whimsy of Broadway. I mean, I love the producers. I got to do it for three months, play Carmen Ghia opposite Gary Beach, Tony Award Amazing. winner. And every, during act one, because we didn't have a lot to do in act one, we'd have a dirty martini in his dressing room. There yes. was no Broadway moment I've ever had that was classier <laughs> then my act one martini with a Tony Award winner in a lavish dressing room yes. in our costumes and our mics. It was the most surreal old Hollywood Broadway. It was the chicest and most generous moment I ever had from a trailblazer in the theatrical community to regale me with stories of shows he'd been in and experiences he learned and wow. the mentorship that he offered me of, over that daily cocktail was like something I can't even, I can't parallel it to anything I've ever experienced. Mm. That's, That's so incredible. Amazing. Also yeah. that, what a fun show. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I got to play Carmen Ghia and then a year later they were like, Hey, do you want to come do it on Broadway while the movie airs? And I was like, yeah. So then I played, uh, uh, Sabu in the movie, and then a year later, I played Carmen Ghia, the larger role on Broadway. Amazing! Mm -hmm. so Did you see it's an so impact weird. It's so from? Weird to think about, like we're talking about this, but I just walked past the theater because it's on Fifty Fourth Street, mm -hmm. and I was like, I worked here. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know how to <laughs> say it. Like being back, I got emotional on stage because it's just yeah. like, it's it is home, and I sang home from the Wiz toward the end of the show because. Oh, amazing. No, it would move me. And I don't know how you feel about this, but there is, I had to examine what that word meant to me. It's not a geographic. None of the places I grew up in still exist or no one lives there that I know. 
it is for me my rent dressing room, the mm. grungy theater at the Nederlander before the renovations and mm -hmm. the polished theater the Nederlander has become. It is that walk from the subway to the theater and that kind mm. of wash of excitement of getting to entertain and have this communal relationship. There is no other medium I've ever worked with that you directly impact the audience outside of Broadway and cabaret in such a moving and visceral way. It's a feeling you get in your body after mm. you see a Broadway show yeah. that you don't get from seeing a movie or a television program. I agree 100%. Yes. Yeah, that really resonates yeah. with me for sure. Same. Yeah, that li the live experience, like breathing the same air as the audience and having everyone suspend their disbelief and buy into the magic of that moment. There's just nothing like it. It is. And you know, when you see a good performance, you catch, you see a show you've seen multiple times and you catch something new or that, that actor finds a new moment that you've never seen them do before. But now they've discovered this thing as an audience member, you're like, oh my God. Or you see an understudy or a different actor and they bring something else. And you're like, oh, I didn't know. Rent was magic because there were so many people out because it's a hard show to sing. And, and every time there's an understudy, new show. Yeah. New show. Yeah. Like we oh, had yeah. like Shafakani type memes. We had like Britney Spears style memes. And the energy w brought a different vibe. I mean, we had Mel B play, you know, uh, Scary Spice play Mimi. Mm -hmm. And and then we had Joey Catone who completely transformed himself into the role of Mark and did eight shows a week for six months. Yeah. Like, wow. These are the people who had to work 10 times harder because people are like, you can't do this. And he killed it. But he was nothing like how he is in real life. And he's such a fine actor. And I, I was shocked because when the stunt casting starts, you're like, oh, what's this going to be? Mm -hmm. And then I got Queer Eye. And then I got put into Producers. And the eye rolls I got, the hate mm -hmm. I got from some of the cast and the crew was like, what, what's this going to bring? Oh, yeah. this is, you know, and so having to prove your own. But it, it, there's something when you just hit that stage and the relationship with a with a beaming audience that we can see, it's it's special. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Well, we want to wrap things up because we want to respect your time. Um, so we just have like one or so more questions for you. Um, so since the middle of July, the American Actors Union SAG-AFTRA has been on strike. And for what it's worth, we obviously support the Actors Union 100%. And we hope that by the time this episode is released, that an agreement has been reached and that all no. of the demands are met of the union. Um, not to mention, I also think that Fran Drescher is just a total badass babe and love the work she's doing as union president. Yeah. Um, so we know that the actor's strike prevents you from being able to promote some of your current projects that you're working on. So is there anything you can share with our listeners about what you're currently wor yeah, working I mean, on or where we can find you? Sure. Um, you can always find me on socials, which is probably the best way, at J-A-I Rodriguez. But um, I will say that, you know, when it comes to the strike, I think what this did highlight was 96 or 5% of us are working actors who struggle to make a living wage. And even though you see us um, doing these shows, um, if it's streaming, it's substantially less than what networks used to pay mm -hmm. um, or still pay. And, um, you know, we used to do 22 episodes a year and streaming's doing eight. And so it's like the work really is getting the next job. So you are constantly working for hours for free, putting down auditions, self-taping yourself on a nice camera, editing that footage, all that stuff, hours of your time. You don't get paid for that. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, the, the amount of time you're supposed to keep open and available. So you're available for work. It's really tricky. Couple that with the lack of residuals because we all consume entertainment differently. You know, the business model has changed. Our contracts have not. Our contracts now need to reflect the change of how society consumes media. And all we're asking for is a fair living wage. Ain't nobody going to get rich off this new contract deal. Mm -hmm. None right. of us. Like, it's just going to be Spring able to, to sustain a yeah. norm. Like, I rent a modest two-bedroom apartment that is rent controlled. And I'm never moving out of here until <laughs> something big happens. But, like, you know, when people come over, they're always surprised. I think they think I would be a homeowner by now. But not with being a working actor, it's really almost near impossible because, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm lucky, I'll do four or five guest stars a year. The rest of the time, I got to pepper that with appearances, prides, cabaret shows. And I'm not playing a small violin for myself. I love my lifestyle. I'm just saying the optics are when you're on television or film that you're rich and it couldn't be further from the from the truth. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. people think Hollywood and they consider the top 3% of the earners and assume all of our lifestyles are like that. Unfortunately, most of us have to really struggle just to even make our health insurance. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just the truth. So I'm glad that big actors who are working class actors have spoken out about this because it, it, it makes me feel less bad and less shame about it. And you know, I I am um, told that the show I was on, Uncoupled, will be returning for a season two once we reach a fair and equitable deal with the AMPTP. But um, I hope we're not one of those shows that gets canceled. But if we are, I'm still very happy and proud of my union for advocating not just for the big names, for the small names, for the... Um, for the background actors who will be deeply impacted by the use of their images for AI. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And and I think that's part of this. The bulk of us are not who people think of when they think of actors and what they make. And for those reasons, I'm really excited about um, the strength and solidarity of the union. Would I like to get back to work? Yes, I miss it so much. But until then, I'm really fortunate that I do other things like sing and um, host and and that I have opportunities to... Listen, girls, I, I would literally be at the Starbucks right now. I don't even care. I would take it. <laughs> You're like, a hustler. I'm not the one. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I have no shame about paying my rent. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a Patreon, which I love, um, which is like, I monetize YouTube and my members there, you know, have really helped support me over the past year, started during the pandemic. And and now it's a creative outlet for me that isn't acting, but it's, um, you know, vlogging my life. I mean, there's also thirst traps on there, you know, pick your poison. But um, for me, I feel like the one thing that came out was a window. It, we pulled back the curtain and you can now see the wizard and you can see what the reality is. And I like that. I've mm -hmm. always done that. I've mm -hmm. always spoken honestly, but just thought I was the only one experiencing it. And to know there's other people far more famous than me with a lot more credits who are in the same hustle and struggle, it makes me feel like, okay, at least I'm not losing my mind here. Like mm -hmm. this is what it is and yeah. we're all dealing with it together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so, so much, Jay, thank for you. giving us some time on a Saturday and we just had such a great time talking to you. Um, 
Yeah, thank you so, so much for joining us. We love you. Thank you. you. And my camera battery lasted this whole time. We did it. We made it through all of the technological issues. I'm so proud (laughs) of all all three of us. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you you for having me. And I look forward to uh, hearing this episode. If anyone wants to follow me, it's at J-A-I Rodriguez. I respond to everybody on the gram. So hit me up there. Awesome. Yay. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Good show listeners, for the Queer Series, we're highlighting the work of a very special nonprofit organization, Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Since its founding in 1988, BCEFA has raised over $300 million for critically needed services for people with AIDS, HIV, and other illnesses. You may have seen the actors passing the donation buckets at the end of a national tour production or at a Broadway show. Right. And Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS produces several big events like the Broadway Flea, Broadway Bears, and Broadway Barks with my girl Bernie P, just to name a few. The money they raise goes towards funding grants to over 450 AIDS and family service organizations across all 50 states, Puerto Rico, and Washington, D.C. To learn more about how you can support Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS by volunteering, making a donation, or attending one of their upcoming events, please visit broadwaycares.org. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Queer Series. Thanks for following, liking, and leaving a review on your streaming app. Good Show is a part of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Good Show Podcast. That's where we post the archival photos and cool stuff we find in the research collection at the Performing Arts Library. It's also where we post info about our upcoming live shows and so much more. Thanks, everybody. Hey, Kristen. Good show. Hey, Sarah. Good show. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.